0: This Pharaoh looking for two. Doncaster straight, can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence, but Pharaoh, Pharaoh, dash the lead from Abbe Glennon. Light up the world, followed by Arrogent and Brave Warrior. But Gavanes goes for home on Pharaoh. Look at Arty Mary, Arty Mary, out of the back. This podcast is brought to late. you Pharaoh by Racing New South Wales, Sky Pharaoh Racing, and Arty Pride's Mary. Easy place, Feed. Many believe the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes has become the highlight race of the championships. It had a spigot as the Queen's Plate in 1851 over three miles. Later in its history the race was known as the AJC Plate and the King's Cup but everything changed in 1953 when a young Queen Elizabeth witnessed the running of the race just nine months after her coronation. The young Queen watched the 33 to 1 outsider Blue Ocean lead all the way to win the first Queen Elizabeth Stakes in track record time for the Mile and a Half. Nowadays it's run over 2,000 metres, it's for three-year-olds and upwards and has seen a spectacular prize money spiral in recent years. In 2013 it was worth half a million, today it's worth 5 million. Since the Royal visit in 1954. Tullock and Winx are the only horses to win the race three times while dual winners have been Intergaze, Grand Army, and Adaeb, who beat very elegant both times. The running of this year's Queen Elizabeth will mark the 50th anniversary of Gunsin's final race start. A huge crowd turned out at Randwick to farewell the Gundah Windy Grey but had to settle for a fighting second to the New Zealander Apollo 11. What a pity it is that Gunsin's name doesn't appear on the list of winners. The Queen Elizabeth will be supported by three other Group 1 races, the Swept Sydney Cup, the Star Australian Oaks and the Queen of the Turf Stakes. It's a hell of a race day, day two of the Championships on the 8th of April. If genetics had anything to do with it, Cody Morgan and his younger brother Luke were always going to seek a future that had something to do with horses. Their dad, Glenn Morgan, was a rodeo legend, winning 20 Australian titles in saddle bronc riding, while their mother, Mary, could sit a horse pretty well in her day and also won a rodeo national title in barrel racing. Cody and Luke both reached a high level as saddle bronc riders, with Luke attaining two national titles. Cody and Luke Morgan both had brief but successful careers as jockeys before increasing weight caught up, but both moved on to other careers. Cody has forged a reputation as a very serious horse trainer, while Luke has also trained his share of winners, but is nowadays in demand as a yearling breaker. The Morgans all live close to Tamworth and are there for one another when assistance is needed. As country stables go, Cody has one of the busiest, with 50 horses in work on the Tamworth racecourse and the capability to spell horses on his nearby property. Cody showed great promise as a jockey, but lasted only three years when the weight battle became unmanageable. He did, however, manage 150 winners. After a brief stint on the rodeo circuit, he bit the bullet and quietly began a training career, a career which has so far brought him 250 winners. he just arrived home from the Magic Millions Adelaide yearling sale when I caught up with him recently with only one purchase, a cult by Brutal. Cody, thanks for joining us on the podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, John.
0: Before we talk about that Brutal cult, you're putting the finishing touches on Tal Brigar before the country championship final. Following his very good win in the Scone Wildcard, given a good draw, he's one of the top chances in the race.
1: Yeah, he looks that way. John uh, was very impressive there at Scone. They just very rarely do they go from a thousand to fourteen hundred in two weeks, and then he drew eighteen and uh, and was able to. To win, it was, a uh, yeah, terrific. And uh, it's just whether the two-week turnaround again um, and obviously with that race being put back a day with the hot weather, whether that'll affect him. But um, it's a good problem to have and we'll see how he goes uh, Saturday week.
0: The perfect option, though, was an extra week, wasn't it?
1: For sure, for sure. Uh, just It would have just eliminated. There would have been one less thing as far as, you know, you don't probably won't know until you get him down there if he's a bit flat, but uh, he's a very tough horse. And if there's any horse in the stable that probably can go two weeks, it's, it's him.
0: There was a time when country trainers with big teams opted to move closer to the city in a bid to further their careers. That's all changed, though, Cody, with increased country prize money, the weekly tab highways, and the opportunity to qualify for races like this, the country championship final you're staying put
1: for sure john i've um you know i've often been asked you know every time you sort of have a good run or you have a good horse around you uh you get asked the question you know will you move to sydney or brisbane and uh you know never say never but i'm completely happy in in tamworth john i've got all my family here and i've probably got uh at least nearly Uh, A third of the horses, if not half the horses that are in Tamworth in training are probably mine, or at least a third anyway. And Mm. all the trainers get along. I've worked for them. I've worked for Sue. I was apprenticed to Craig. I've worked for Mark Mason. And they're all uh, really helpful. Mellow Gorman, uh, it's a good community up here. And, yeah, I'm very happy to stay put. We've got great prize money throughout the year. Uh, Obviously, when I first started and I was apprenticed to to Tim Martin, uh, Tim... Mm naturally needed to move to Sydney to, to become, um, you know, to get to the heights that he got to. And I uh, just, yeah, I, I'm more than happy to stay here and, and um, yeah, ply my craft.
0: You have the privilege to train a large number of horses for Australian bloodstock who just a few years ago looked for a country base and they settled on that young bloke from Tamworth. Now, this is a funny story. When you got the first call from Luke Murrell you actually said, no, I haven't got enough room. What was the story? Was it one horse involved?
1: Yeah, it it was, John. It was, he had a a filly. Uh, Obviously, I knew who Australian Bloodstock was and I think they were and um, I think they just won their first Melbourne Cup or it might have been just before, I can't remember, but uh, Mm -hmm. Luke rang me and he said, look, I don't, know you know who you are or anything he said but I've, I've watched how you place your horses and and how you present them and look we've got a filly she's um very limited but she needs to go to Moree and uh, there's a race out there in a couple of weeks and I said oh I'd love to but I've only got six stables at, at my parents property uh, and I'm full and um mm. he said no worries and um that was that and look it probably wasn't for a couple of months later uh, I acquired 18 stables on track and I was just kicking myself. I'm like, how, how did I say no to Australian <laughs> blaster? Like, what an idiot. Um, yeah, you and
0: kicked yourself.
1: I, I did, I did. And oh. I wasn't game to ring him back, but just how things work, I remember exactly where I was standing pretty much 12 months later and um, Luke rang back up again and mm. um, thankfully and um, just asked me, "See, are you in a better position now? And I said, I am. I've got 18 um, horses and I – Proudly say like Luke's like a second father to me. He's um, mm. you know, he's in my phone. It says the boss. So um, yeah, he's just a a great mentor, and um, you know, it's um, privilege to work with him.
0: If you had to pick a favourite from the Australian bloodstock horses you've trained so far, my guess is you'd plump for Ligulate. He started life with Godolphin. I think he won a couple of races in the blue colours, but Australian bloodstock bought him online
1: yeah they, they sure did and um, uh, Luke and Jamie did and he come up to me and uh, I give him one trial and um, we changed a little bit of gear on him and I just happened to be going to Sydney that weekend uh, for a highway and he'd been up and racing and up to 2000 and all that sort of stuff and just to change the scenery and just train him out of a paddock and and um, things like that and I put him over some jumps and he uh I, thought, I said to Luke, look, we're taking um, Mr. Werrett's horse down for the highway. We might as well put Ligulate on too. And mm. uh, yeah, he went down there and won on a Saturday, first run for us. I like, how good's mm. this? And he's, you know, won over uh, half a million for us. He's in the twilight of his career now. Um, mm. But he's, he, uh, Kosciuszko's country championships, Tamworth cups. He's, he's uh, been a really good horse to us.
0: Right. Now he's uh, he's in work currently, though, isn't he? He's not yeah, finished yep, yet. Yep.
1: No, for sure. He'll uh, he's had one trial back and he'll trial again uh, Tuesday and um he'll be this will probably be his last prep, but um you know, he's been a tremendous horse to us and we wanna, you know, give him a really good home after after racing.
0: Now the day he won that race at Rose Hill, Cody, am I correct in saying that it was one leg of a double for you on the day? Was Pat's nipper the other one?
1: It was, and I, I can honestly say, John, it was one of the best days I ever had in racing. I went when I Trained a, a double in Sydney on a Saturday. I was just – it was a very easy drive home the next day to Tamworth. So that, yeah. That's for sure. I remember I had two or three winners the next day on the Sunday here at Tamworth. In the last race, I end up – I won and we – got relegated to second on protests and normally you sort of come out of the room kicking stones. But I think I was was saying, ah, well, (laughs) I was Mm. was still on a high from the day before, so I took that loss very well the next day.
0: (laughs) I think Hugh Bowman rode Pat's nipper on the day and Sammy Clinton rode Ligulate. Sammy's story is well documented. She'd been champion New South Wales apprentice before sustaining back injuries in a fall at Scone and it put her out for two and a half years. Her comeback was quite spectacular. She rode dozens of winners for many different stables, including yours, but I think she required further surgery last year. We haven't seen her.
1: For sure, for sure. I I, I count Sam as one of my close friends and uh, I'm probably biased, but you know I, I have her up there alongside the best, Female riders in Australia, Um, Mm. you know, Jamie Carr, I I just think she was an elite rider and just very courageous. Like, I know when she won on Ligulate in the country championship uh, qualifier, if if the listeners ever get a chance to go back and watch that, that was after some of those horrific falls that she'd had and and the gap that she took at the 200. Mm. I sure as hell wouldn't have taken it. (laughs) Like, she was just so brave and. um, just a real horsewoman. So, um, yeah, I think she still works a lot for Chris Lees and he's very lucky to have her.
0: Right. So does she have any aspirations to ride again as far as you know? Oh, as far as
1: I'm aware, John, I think she's just had a, a little baby in the last couple of days. So I'm sure that's uh, probably put that put that on the back burner for a little while.
0: I'll say it, Will. And I think yeah. she has another one uh, who may be four or five years of age.
1: I th- Yep. I think he's – Maybe even six or seven. Yep, yep. Goodness so, me. um, yeah, no, she's a good friend of mine, and we keep uh, in regular uh, contact.
0: I think a certain mechanical horse may have been the catalyst for your aspirations to become a jockey.
1: It sure was. We we're um, out on the on the road driving cattle, probably in the drought. I would imagine mm. uh, my brother and I after school, or, or it could have been school holidays. I'm not. I'm not certain, but we are out there a lot of. A lot of times, uh, yeah, driving cattle and um, they uh, Morris Logue uh, was obviously working for Racing New South Wales at the time and he um, found us out on the road and said, look, just got to get some power for this and he took it around to a family friend's house nearby and plugged it in and he threw me on it and, um, yeah, I just – I loved it. And then obviously my brother was watching so he, he jumped on as well and, um, yeah, we were pretty much hooked, John, and then I just – you know. Uh, Remember coming home from school every day and, and putting Sky Racing on and, and listening to yourself just every day. And it's, um <laughs> yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, when you called the other day, it just it took me back 20 years, it did.
0: Goodness me. I can't spare 20 years either, Cody. <laughs> Don't do that too often. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> I think it was Tim Martin who trained your first winner, 25th uh, of June, yep. 2001. Horse's name was Tonosama, at Corindai. That put you in a pretty elite bracket. Few jockeys win at their maiden race ride.
1: I think I was very fortunate, John, um, that uh, Craig and Tim um, put me on a good one. I think they had the favourite in the race. I think Mitch Newman flew up from Sydney to ride it, and um, I got an inkling now, looking back on it, that Tim knew that I was on the better one and probably the longer odds, and. Um, it all worked out as it normally did for Tim and uh, they got me on the right one. And I look back now and think I had absolutely no idea where I was. It was a 14-horse field and it was uh, completely different to a uh, to a barrier trial. And um, he got up with about, I don't know, 20 or 30 metres to go. And, um, yeah, it's something that I've always um, – had over Mitchell Bell because Mitchell turned out to be a much better jockey than me but we started in the same race. We finished our trials on the same day and we're both apprenticing Tamworth and uh, Mitch run rings around me in the end but I always remind him to this day that uh, I won our first uh, first race.
0: The most significant feature of that win was the fact that Corindy had been your hometown. You grew up there. <clears throat> you attended the Corindy High School.
1: Yeah, for sure. It was... a uh, Really good. I'd, I'd done pony club there, the the junior rodeos there, uh, all my schooling. I was born in Crindice. so it was not till I sort of look back now on it, John. That I'm just uh, very grateful that that was uh, where we where I kicked off, and even more lucky that um yeah the boss put me on it on a fast one.
0: Tell me about the day the school principal, Mister Ayers, called you to his office. You were very puzzled.
1: Yes, I was. Uh, I think news had sort of broke because i had done i'd gone down in school holidays two or three times through year nine um to mr quentin's in in sydney and uh that's where i met Hugh bowman and and, and had a chance to room with him uh, when he was you know at the height of his apprenticeship and uh i'd sort of come back and told my teachers in my class said look i'm i'm gonna leave school at the end of year nine and um yeah didn't finish my um year 10 certificate and neither did my brother and um but it was on the proviso with our parents that they said, "Look, if you don't make it in the first twelve months, you're both going back to school." So it was a, mm. a good incentive to um do our best. That's for sure. didn't <laughs> yeah. really want to go back to school. But um, Mr. Ayres um called me in. It was sort of just before Christmas, um, and just sort of sat me down. He said, "Oh, look, I've heard that you you know want to be an apprentice and, and so forth, and uh, you know that's a terrible idea. You know, very tough life. You know, uh, I, I think you should stay at school." And I sort of was. I'd already made my mind up and the fact that mum and dad had said yes, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't I was taking none of it. Well, that was fine. That was in probably, like I said, early December Well, we get through to, well, I think I had my first ride at Krindai, uh, you said, in uh, sort of August. Well, there was probably a meeting at Krindai, let's say sort of October, November. I was sort of up and going by that stage and mm. I was wheeling me, little, me bag in uh, to the room and um, I saw a, a man there holding a uh Daily Telegraph, you know, the racing section. And sure enough, it was my principal. He said, uh, you like any of yours today, coat? And I looked up and I just, <laughs> I just never – you know, that's 20 years ago. I still remember it, or 22 years ago. And um, I thought, geez, uh, probably he knows it's a tough life because he was probably having a punt. But, no, he was, um, he was lovely. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, it was really good.
0: Well, in order to get a little closer to town – you grabbed the opportunity to have your indentureship transferred to the late Pud Davies at Cessnock, and sadly, Pud passed away. Code only a few weeks ago.
1: Yes, for sure. Um, Pud and and his wife were just. I lived in their house. Um, they just it was the old school apprenticeship, and and they were just. Uh, wonderful uh, to work for they really looked after me in the the 12 months um i, I was there and um yeah it's very sad to see um see putty go
0: he was a legend in the cessnock racing precinct wasn't he
1: oh everybody knew putty and yeah everyone had nothing but a good word to say about him and um you know even as he sort of retired and then i sort of got training like he'd keep in contact and um yeah, if I had a a big winner, he'd send me a message. And, yeah, it was really nice.
0: During that time, you got to travel to race meetings with an amazing jockey and an all-round good fellow in Robert Thompson. Now, You didn't realise it at the time, but you were in a position most apprentices would have killed for, to be unofficially tutored by the man who has ridden more winners than any other jockey in Australian racing history.
1: Oh, for sure, John. I didn't. I honestly didn't realize the the privilege at the time. To I always said I did. You know, twelve months of my apprenticeship in Tamworth, and I, and I did twelve months with uh, with RT because um I just spent yeah. so many days in the car. Um, you know, he picked me up. Obviously, he just lived down the road um fr- from from and um he just took me everywhere, and he didn't have to say a lot. It was just his actions and how he went about it, and. We might have got back in the car that night, and he say, "Oh, just you know, just help him around the corner a bit more, my boy. You know, like just things like that." <laughs> uh, the advice he could give you in a race, and um, you know, like he was just tremendous and just such a horseman and a, and a lovely gentleman to boot.
0: You still don't know how you got the opportunity to transfer to the famous Lindsay Park training operation in South Australia. You spent about 16 months there under the wing of Tony McAvoy, who gave you wonderful support.
1: Terrific time uh, in, in my life, John. I always say it's the perfect place for an apprentice jockey because you, you're a couple of hours out of town. Um, not that, you know, the nightlife wouldn't have bothered me as such, it's sort of not my scene, but um, to be able, there's no fast food there, you know, you got, two pubs and a a takeaway, uh, shop and you're out in the country and then you travel an hour and a half or so into, into Adelaide of a Saturday. But I think that it was one of those things where they were, they were looking for an apprentice and you know, the, the real top class apprentices that lived in Adelaide wanted to go to Melbourne and, uh, you know, Mitchell Bell went to Sydney and done really good things. And to this day, I don't really know, um, who it was, but I'm very, very grateful that, uh, you know, that they recommended me to go to Adelaide because it was just a perfect fit for me. I just rode so many winners over there in in a short space of time.
0: You rode 60 winners roughly in 16 months. But what about the trot you had at the Saturday Metropolitan meetings in Adelaide? Early on, you never stopped riding winners.
1: It was uh yeah, I never forget it was a uh, eleven weeks straight I wrote a I wrote a city winner. Uh just it might have been one or it might have been two, but it was just it was um a, yeah, I had a tremendous run uh there for a period of time. And uh, you know, I think Stephen Parnum is still riding um very well in it. Perth. He was apprenticed with me at the same time at Lindsay Park and then um, I came through my apprenticeship at the same time as Todd Pennell, who's obviously still a leading rider uh in Adelaide and um, yeah, it was great to catch up with everyone over there um, last week.
0: You say you never rode an elite galloper on race day, but you were the regular work rider for the wonderful horse Fields of Omar, whose wins included a couple of cox plates and about $6 million in prize money. You say horses of that calibre have a feel all of their own.
1: they they do john it's just it's it's power i feel and it's conserved energy there'd be a couple of things that um you know he wasn't a a brilliant track worker by any means and i you know i look back now in awe of the training performance of of lindsey park and tony mcavoy to to get that horse to win those Cox plates i wasn't there when he won his second one but I, i rode him every single day and that was my job even sunday mornings he'd get worked and he wasn't a sound horse, and and to to get him that fit to to win at the highest level, and uh, you know, to beat, I think he well he did. He beat Lonro that that first year uh, mm. that I was there, and it was uh, yeah, very special.
0: You had great support from trainers like Leon McDonald, John Hickmott, just to name a couple.
1: Yeah, they were really good to me. I uh, rode in the Wolf Blast colours a, a lot over there, and um, and then obviously I, I've caught up with um. I caught up with John only over there last week. It was really good. He gave me a lot of support when I, when I was riding over there. We rode a lot of winners and rode a very good horse for him that he sold to Hong Kong uh, called Pay Keys. He was probably one mm. of the – well, he probably was the best horse. I rode in a race over there.
0: Mm. By the time you got back to Tamworth, you were flat out making 56 kilos and it was getting tougher by the minute. Your dad had taken out a trainer's licence by this, principally – uh, to apprentice your brother, Luke. You were at the crossroads, weren't you, at that time?
1: I was. I'd come back with really no intentions to to, uh, to keep race riding and uh, I remember the conversation I had with Dad and he just said, look, can you ride for six months just to teach your brother? And um, uh, he didn't need much teaching, John. He picked it up relatively quick and um, we only rode in races for probably um, – Oh, like I said, probably four or five months um, mm. before I gave it away. But, yeah, he, it was a, a great time. And I tell you, a very nerve-wracking riding with your younger brother in a race, that's for sure, because you're sort of – by that stage, I knew what was going on around me. And I was – you're riding your own horse, but then you're sort of looking across at him. And, he, you know, he might have only had five or six rides. And, you know, mm. you're trying to help him around as well. But, yeah, he picked it up fairly quickly and went straight past me, to be honest.
0: We've already mentioned that your dad, Glenn, was a 20-time Australian champion in the saddle bronc riding pursuit and I'm told, Code, he's equally adept on a microphone. Whenever Foxtel uh, put on one of their big rodeo coverages on the network, your dad is invariably on the commentary panel.
1: Yeah, for sure, John. He's done that. for. uh, Obviously, he's done the main arena at Sydney show for... I couldn't tell you twenty twenty five years. Um, he's done the main arena for the for the rodeo there. Uh, probably hasn't done it the last couple of years, uh, and I haven't asked him if he's doing it this year. But yeah, he's always away uh, of a weekend commentating somewhere around Australia. Um, it's yeah it can be from Melbourne to Cairns to Darwin, mm-hmm. and then um, you know he does a, a bit with uh, the bull riding stuff with the Foxtel and. And then also the camp drafting was sort of with Willinger Park. I think that's on um, national TV as well. He does does mm-hmm. that with uh, Joe, with Joe McKinnon actually.
0: His versatility knows no bounds.
1: Yeah, that's probably where I get the talking from. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> you're not shy, are you?
1: No, nah, well, I think John just you get a camera put in front of you at, uh, at 15 when you're apprentice jockey, so it, it you just. You know, you, you just talk.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. no, it doesn't
1: bother me at all uh, as I've gotten older.
0: Yeah, you get used to it or perish?
1: Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah.
0: In just three years of race riding, you were involved in only one actual race fall, but it was a bottler. It was a big field at Corindai. You were not too far from the lead when you hit the deck and you cop plenty of traffic.
1: I did, I did, it was, um, I, it hurt, that's for sure, I've, um, I've been bucked off plenty of saddlebron courses and always say that one race fall hurt more than any, any um, buck jumper did, that's for sure, I was probably running third or fourth and um, uh, one just come under my neck and geez, I reckon about four or five fell and I come down first and the rest of them come over the top of me, and I, was, I just remember thinking, "How many was in this race?" As they were just trampling <laughs> over the top of me, <laughs> ticking and, them um, off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, I was I had blood coming from my mouth, nose, and ears, and I sort of sat up in shock, probably, and um uh, I remember probably swearing a fair bit, and I, I said, "I've, yeah, yeah, swearing," and said, "Just get me a green stick when when the uh, ambo got to me," and then. Uh, Dad must have run up the track. They must have happened to be at the races. It was a Saturday afternoon and I remember him saying, can you um, wiggle your arms and toes? I said, yep. And I remember Dad going, yeah, no, saying to the M's, no, he's right. He's right. He's just a bit winded. And I was thinking, a (laughs) bit more than winded. But, um, yeah, and that's sort of how we, Luke and I grew up, just through the rodeos and that. Yeah. You learn to take a fall, that's for sure.
0: Well, your arms, legs, wrists, collarbones were all okay but you suspected your nose was broken. And yeah. You'd promised John Lundholm you'd ride a horse for him in the Canamble Cup the following day. Did you take yourself to the local hospital for a check-up?
1: Oh, it was bad enough at the time that I got inbo'd out of Corindai and then they ambo'd me up to Tamworth and I think um, John must have rang Dad uh you know, that afternoon said, you know, is he going to ride tomorrow? And dad's, yeah, no, he's, he's fine. And um, it's just amazing where all the uh concussion protocols that are in place now and, and what have you. Like, um, yeah, I had a broken nose and I remember just getting the softest pair of goggles I could find to put on the next day. And I went out there and had five or six rides. I don't think I rode a winner, but, um, you know, John London's one of the toughest men I've ever, ever come and met. So, um mm. yeah, he probably wasn't going to take the excuse either too well. So um we mm. went out there and fulfilled our engagements, but uh, I don't think we got a winner.
0: Cody, doesn't one do stupid things when one is young?
1: Most definitely. i kick my toe now and want, okay, have a day off. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, I look back now and, yeah, it didn't even bother me. And I remember a couple of senior riders that were at Crindy and then they – I rode in the first race the next day and uh, I was, you know, six on the fence and they come back in and they said, oh, geez, it didn't affect your nerve, you know, like it's, you're fine. And it didn't. It, it just – I I put that down to growing up rodeo and riding steers and all that and, you know, mm. you, you just um – you've got to have your ticker about you when you're doing this sport and you just, you know, it's you just got to think, well, you know, you can be in a car accident or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I think when your number's up, it's up and, you know, you just go there to do your job. But – um. Yes, but then age catches up on you and you start to really think about the consequences, <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: You tell me you had a worse fall than the Corindai crash and that was only two years ago when you were riding track work at home at Tamworth. That was a very complicated leg break and it took you a hell of a long time to get over it.
1: For sure, John. It was just a, a freak accident. Um, the horse was coming off the track Ronan's Rock and, He was running the next day here at Tamworth and I I remember my my main tracklet rider now, he was sort of coming on and I was going off and I I just remember saying, Jesus, it'll be hard to beat tomorrow. It's really fresh. Mm. And no sooner I said it, it it sort of lunged forward and quite hoarse too. And um, he tripped over in front and my left foot went through the the stirrup and I fell off on the right and he drugged me probably – Ooh, 10 or 15 metres and then um, oh I remember just laying there and my leg was just – it was honestly like one of those soccer videos. My leg was halfway back up beside of me, sitting beside me and it was um, – I remember just laying in the dirt and just saying, look, just get me to Sydney because, I, uh, you know, that's where the good surgeons are and, um, yeah, it was a uh, I, I, funny story with that one. I was laying in the dirt and I, I said to a couple of people, just ring Dr Duckworth, who's obviously with Race in New South Wales and he's incredible at what he does uh, with the, with the injured riders. And by the time I'd got knocked, you know, they sort of knocked me out sort of thing, it went from being uh, Dr Duckworth to ringing Charlie Duckworth. And I don't know if Charlie Duckworth or Chris Wallace probably would have been able to help me at the time. But, um, yeah. yeah, it got mis- misconstrued, that's for sure.
0: Just to wind up a review of your riding career, you rode your last winner... On the 20th of November 2004 at Armadale, was a horse called Carry On Benny, trained by your dad and owned by mum and dad. Now, as you were coming back uh, to the winner's circle on Carry On Benny, do you recall thinking, well, this has got to be it? What a way to go out. A winning ride in my own territory at Armadale for mum and dad. Time to quit.
1: Really, really good. That, that was uh, tremendous and I, I think, uh yeah, like it was, uh, geez, it was, yeah, Armadale, 1100 metre race and um, yeah, he sort of, he was a bit of a, a non-winner and um, he, he won on that day and no, it was um, terrific to ride my first winner at Krindai, obviously, where, where I grew up and then to ride my last winner for my parents. So it was, um, yeah, really good.
0: You started out training with only three or four horses on mum and dad's property And there's a nice little story about your first winner. You spotted a fantastic light mare called Course for sale online and you thought she might be a good one to kick off with. You were a bit short of funds at the time and uh, when the time was right, you put the bite on Brother Luke who was travelling pretty well at the time
1: yeah Luke's always I think the cattle he's always had a lot of cattle and I, I think the cattle market must have been good at the time and you know we'd always uh borrow and swap money and cattle and horses we've always uh you know now it's still still happens but I'm borrowing off him and he's pretty right but um yeah at the time I um said oh geez I need to buy this horse and oh, I want to buy this horse and um yeah I was able to pay him back pretty quick because I, I think we First two starts we gave her, she ran first and second, so he, uh, he got her, got his money back and then some.
0: Yeah, well, she won straight away at Armadale with Aaron Bullock on board. Coincidentally, a jockey you still use frequently.
1: Yeah, he's um, been my number one rider for you know something. I take a lot of pride in that. He, you know, he rode my first winner, and obviously won the country championship wild card for me on on Sunday, and it's just been a, a very good working relationship to where. Uh, Uh, You know, I never give him instructions ever and uh, he just goes out and more often than not he he gets it right and wins.
0: Mm. Well, Cody, as we record this interview on March 23rd, I've just had a quick peep at the New South Wales Jockey's Ladder. He's sitting on 105 and a half winners. He's well clear of James McDonald on the state ladder and by the time this podcast is posted, I'm tipping he's going to be up around 110.
1: Yes, no, he's just I, I I hope he goes through and um, you know uh, he's going to look like, yeah, winning that state one, and I think that's probably obviously a goal of his, and you know I hope it's um I hope it comes off
0: for him. Early this year, you recorded a career highlight when you won the Magic Millions Country Cup on the Gold Coast with Ezekiel in the Australian Bloodstock colours. And you did what many other trainers have been doing lately and you jumped on the Jamie Carr bandwagon.
1: Yes, we, 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 we did. And was, um, she galloped in for us up there on the uh, Tuesday and, yeah, she was really happy uh, with the way he worked and, um, yeah, it just made it a, a lot easier that she'd had a sit on it um, and, yeah, when he come out and, and won so well, so that was um, really good.
0: Well, you've won five races with Ezekiel so far. He's very promising, but you've turned him out. Nevertheless, you've got big horizons ahead.
1: I hope so, John. Um, you know, now he's you've got to have a, a profile to, to run in a uh, Kosciuszko, and now he's won five from 16 and got such a good record at 1,200. It's... Uh, it's a race that we will aim him up at, and see how we go later in the year. But uh, he'd been in work for a long time, so it was um, he running the country championship qualifier here at fourteen hundred, and that's just a bridge too far for him. And mm. yeah, he's had a brilliant preparation.
0: Stand by for a moment, Cody. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast, and we'll come back with you after this. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success
1: since making that change.
0: So really pleased with Pride's and not only the Racing Cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feeds. Stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation. Just touching on a few special horses who've been good for your career in recent times, you speak very highly of Unbiased, who won several races for you. Was he another good dolphin cast off?
1: He sure was, and um, Dad purchased uh, him and went and looked at him and before he bought him, and um, I remember being at Newcastle races. And he had his first start in a race. I think Jeff Penzel won on him. And I remember just seeing him in the enclosure and I went away and backed him and he won. And um, lo and behold, probably, I don't know, 12, 18 months later, dad had come back from the sales and, um, you know, and, and there he was in the stable. And, yeah, he's he's, he's family, that horse. He's just um, – he got me – he really got me going, John. He mm-hmm. was just to come, come into my life at a time when I really needed him.
0: You love a horse called Casino Lord. Uh, you've won four at Tamworth with him and one at Corindai, and he's been placed in a couple of tab highways. He's no star, but if all horses tried as hard as Casino Lord does, the trainer's life would be much easier.
1: Much easier, John, and he's just um, Phil Everly's owner is just an incredible human. He's been... Um, He's just the ultimate owner. From the time I've got that that horse um, first start in a race, he got beat eight lengths in a maiden at uh, at Moree, and I thought, oh, he's probably not much not much good. And we tipped him out. And obviously, my brother pre trains and breaks all those horses in, and come back next prep. And Luke pre trained him. He said, oh, give this horse another couple of starts and and see get on. And mm-hmm. he's just got better and better and better to where you now he's sort of won one hundred and fifty thousand. And you know, I'm sure he. In the next 12 months, he'll win city races and he's also a horse that would be a great chance to run in a if he, um if he comes up next preparation.
0: And what of Levi Storm, a horse you owned outright and with whom you won a couple at Tamworth and one at Eagle Farm before succumbing to the lure of the mighty Hong Kong dollar, as many others have done?
1: For sure, Johnny, uh, getting back to Unbiased, uh, Unbias had won a country championship qualifier here and obviously mum and dad and myself were the sole owners of him. And um, we, I sort of parlayed that money and went to the Scone Sales and thought, oh, I, I, bought, I bought Levi's Storm. He was a Seamus Award off uh, Widden Stud and just had all intentions to probably keep half or three quarters and put a few people in him and um, uh, send him to my brother to be broken in. and. Uh, probably four or five days after he had him, he rang me, and he said, what are you going to do with this famous award bloke? He said, I'll, I'll buy, you know, whatever you want to sell of him, half, three quarters, and mm. I smelled a rat right, straight away, and I thought, as much as I want to sell this horse, I'm going to keep it now. Oh. And um, I, I kept him outright, and, um, yeah, he was – I think he could have got through to – Country championships and and, and Kosciuszko's, He was a you know I think he won four from six I think in the end or three from five and um, but I, I've always stuck with the mantra. Whenever I have a mortgage, John, they're always for sale. Doesn't matter. So um, he he um, after he won in Brisbane, um, they come with uh, Hong Kong wanted to buy him and um, he's been good to them. He's won at least two over there that I know of and um, I'm sure he'll win more because he was fairly impressive when he did win over there.
0: Yeah, well, you named him after your little son, Levi, who's now approaching seven years of age, and you tell me he looks to have inherited the horsey genes.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, he likes horses, Uh, he likes motorbikes a lot, and um, yeah, probably, I think as he gets older, he'll like the horses more, but um, yeah, at the moment, he likes the cattle trucks and uh, he actually likes the horse truck. We just got uh, to take the horse to the race, and he thinks that's pretty uh, cool at the moment. But um, mm. yeah, it was very nice to be able to. That was the first horse I, I named um, Levi, and it turned out to be a good one. So I'm not going to go using that name lightly, and um, until we hopefully break one in that we think's any good, that's for sure.
0: Well, you've given us a tip there. If, yes, if the word yes, Levi very, very appears true. in in a horse's name in the future, that means you've got a wrap on it.
1: Yep, that's very, very fair. Very
0: fair, Cody. You've had a wonderful run in the Tab Highway races in Sydney, and uh, you're right up there with the leading bunch on the trainers' ladder since its inception, I think, in 2015.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've I've had a good run down there uh, with them, John. They've just well, they've just changed everything, haven't they? They've, they've um, Mr. Valandis has just changed country racing and, and allowed. Uh, you know, us trainers to be able to compete for such great prize money and and the owners that we can attract now to be able to take these horses down there is just um, phenomenal.
0: (laughs) One of your highway winners was a mare called the 1st of May a couple of years ago in the Australian Bloodstock Colours. Now, you caused a bit of a kerfuffle when you suggested to Luke Murrell and Jamie Lovett that they move her on. You just felt there was nothing left in the tank when she won the eleven hundred meter highway. By oh, g, many owners would have been highly offended.
1: Yeah, it's and I feel that that's the the working relationship I have with Luke and Jamie. To where I like I said, I, I ring Luke about anything, um, and uh, and I can just sort of say it as i see it and you know there was nothing wrong with her or what have you but she tommy berry rode her it was a low draw i think they they split the race it sort of obviously got a bit weaker and she was never going to be worth more than what she was going to be worth uh that day and um you know she won really good prize money in the highway that day and then um they sold her for terrific money um in the coming weeks and i think she went on to be a broodmare and such but she she never won a ra- another race and um yeah i just felt that she was yeah there was, we got everything out of her, and um, but to be able to have those work and relationship phone calls um, with Luke and just leave nothing off the table on a daily basis, or and you know I, it might not even be one of Luke and Jamie's horses, and Luke will ring me and say, "Well, what are you doing putting it in that race?" You know, like he does. Yeah. He doesn't hold. He doesn't hold back, and and uh, you know, as the years have gone on, I don't hold back with, with Luke either. So it's yeah. um, a lot of banter both ways, but it's I feel that it's. Makes the the working relationship so much better that I can be upfront and honest uh, with them from mm. from the get go.
0: About ten years ago, you got the kick in the teeth that all trainers fear, and that was a two year disqualification on a race day treatment charge. The substance wasn't illegal, but the application was. It was a, an amino acid drench administered to a horse called Prussian Secret in your stable. A few hours before the running of the Gunnerdar Cup, it was witnessed by stewards during a random stable inspection. The horse was scratched, and you lived through a nightmare. But looking back now, it might have been the best thing that ever happened.
1: For sure, John. I, you know, you can't run away from it. And racing was is my life, and it was. I learnt the biggest lesson of all, and um, you know, I had me time on the sidelines and it's, you know, you learn that you want to train for the, you know, the rest of your life. I don't, it's not something I want to do for the next couple of years. And and if you do, well, then the only way to do it is is um, play by the rules and, and and learn from your mistakes. And uh, you can't, I can't talk about it and say sorry. It's just, it's in your actions. You just got to, um, you know, hopefully in another 20 years and you stay out of trouble that whole time and just train winners. Well, that, that's what I, I want to do.
0: Yeah, your mate Luke Murrell sums it up best, Cody. He says it turned you into a choir boy.
1: For sure, for sure. No, you <laughs> just, and that's it. You know, I like I said, I left school at the end of year nine, and racing's not my job. It's it's my life, and um, you yeah. know, I just, if you want to be doing it for a long period of time, you just do the right thing, and um, you know, yeah, you have good horses, um, you know, and, and that they win anyway. They really do.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's the point, isn't
1: it? It is, it is.
0: You've had a couple of handy apprentices. Jackson Searle is one in question. Uh weight beat Jackson, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, he's come through the rodeo ranks and he he done a lot of miles in the car and um, you know, he got through to a really good level. Um, you know, to from when he came to us he'd ridden one winner to then going down and, and riding winners for, you know, uh obviously for Annabelle Neesham and spending the period down there. And all I hope is when they, they come to me that, you know, uh, it's obviously very dangerous, but at the same time, if I can – I always said to him all the time, I so, said, mate, if I, if I see you at a rodeo in a couple of years' time and, you know, you've you've bought a house and, and a small farm or, or what have you, I'll feel like I've done my job. And, and yeah, you, know. Uh, um, you know, he's uh, finished up, but he's gone back to the rodeos. And uh, obviously his younger brothers are, are very good – uh, rodeo riders and ropers. So, um, you know, I'm sure he's, yeah, he, he can look back and be proud of what he achieved. And, and, um, now I've got another rodeo boy in, in Corey Sutherland. Hopefully he can, um, go along those same, same lines. We're all sort of, Jackson was always going to be too big. And, and know and I dare say Corey will get too big in the future, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great breeding ground, um, you know, when they come through the rodeos and camp drafting to cross over into the racing because mm. they know how to be mentally tough and, and um, physically tough too because, you know, it can be demanding been a been a jockey.
0: Yeah, Corey Sutherland's a tall lad, isn't he?
1: He is, he is, but he's as light, light as anything and he's um he, uh, he lives with me and I, I feel I got that john through being apprenticed to, to putty davies um just that old school apprenticeship you know that's just um and they're apprenticed to me and they live under my roof there's no alcohol there's no going out and um i just say to them it's just for a very short period in your life that you know um to really focus and, and do it 110 percent or don't worry about it at all so um Corey lives uh, with myself and, you know, he's very disciplined with his eating and um, he's as light as a feather at the moment. He's quite tall but um, he is very, you know, he walks around sort of 52 and a half for for a tall lad.
0: Mm. There's another little ambition that you're quietly endeavouring to achieve and that's 100 winners on your home track at Tamworth. You're getting close.
1: I am, John. I know it's it's just a personal milestone that I'd love to – to tick off, um, you know, to train a hundred winners on your on your home track, it's um, it'd be yeah something special for myself. And uh, like I said, I can't see myself ever leaving Tamworth, and I, I don't. I've got a long way to go to before I'd catch up to to Mark Mason. I think he's got at least another hundred and mm-hmm. a bit on me. But um, yeah, we've had a, a really good season uh, this year, and I just always find that I, I have large numbers that that run at Tamworth because I've just. When I was apprenticed to to Craig Martin, he'd always run his horses at home over travelling them, and Craig just always just drilled it into me. He said, like, you'll just get longer. You know, you can start from a bad barrier on your home track, but they'll just recover so much quicker, and Mm. you'll get longer preps out of them. So, Mm. you know, if it's just not – everything's not perfect, and they might be backing up or they might draw wide, I'll still – invariably I'll run them at home because you just end up getting that eight or ten runs out of a prep instead of travelling them. Eight-hour round trip to Dubbo or over to Port Macquarie. Yeah. It takes a fair bit out of them, so um, I enjoy running them on my home track.
0: Now, I'm reliably informed that your dad, Glenn, is a Group One float driver.
1: Yes, I, I do put him. I do put him behind the wheel a lot, and obviously we're sort of halfway from Sydney and halfway to um, to Brisbane, and um, I'm very lucky that I can sort of. I won't even. Call Dad, really. Um, I'll send him to Brisbane on, on a Thursday and um, he might call me coming back into town or we might speak after the race just to see how the horses pulled up. But, um, you know, as a whole, uh, I can send him away to Sydney or Brisbane and I, I do that quite quite often.
0: Mm. Uh, Talbragar won't be your first country championship final runner. You've already had four runners in that race. You've had eight in the Kosciuszko in recent years and uh, it, it's a goal isn't it it's a real target for country trainers
1: for sure john e- every horse we try to buy uh, they're the two races that we really try to um get horses that will suit those uh you know conditions and and so forth and just to see the the ownership groups like it they've been completely different each year you know i've had from mr Werrett, that's obviously a black caviar had horses in country championship finals and then obviously coran stud of uh with mr Aldermani. they've been in bigger races but uh, much bigger races but they'll still the, the excitement that, that they, they're getting at the moment because they know this horse is, he's been in the country i know he's well bred but he's uh he's lived nearly all of his life in, in country new south wales and uh yeah hopefully he goes down there and, and does him proud and uh like the ownership groups I've taken down there the last couple of years that, you know, there's been butchers from Molong and farmers from Moree and it's just all changed with the syndication, John. It allows uh, the mum and dad to get 5% in a a really good horse and race for terrific prize money. So I, I think it's been a great thing, the syndication.
0: Great to catch up, Cody. Thanks for your time on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Keep up the good work.
1: Thanks very much, John. Thanks for having me on.
0: Many believe the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes has become the highlight race of the championships. It had its beginnings as the Queen's Plate in 1851, over three miles. Later in its history, the race was known as the AJC Plate and the King's Cup. But everything changed in 1953 when a young Queen Elizabeth witnessed the running of the race, just nine months after her coronation. The young Queen watched the 33 to 1 outside of Blue Ocean lead all the way to win the first Queen Elizabeth Stakes in track record time for the mile and a half. Nowadays, it's run over 2,000 metres, it's for three-year-olds and upwards, and has seen a spectacular prize money spiral in recent years. In 2013, it was worth half a million. Today, it's worth five million. Since the Royal visit in 1954, Tullock and Winx are the only horses to win the race three times, while dual winners have been Intergaze, Grand Army, and Adaeb, who beat very elegant both times. The running of this year's Queen Elizabeth will mark the 50th anniversary of Gunsin's final race start. A huge crowd turned out at Randwick to farewell the Gundy Windy Grey, but had to settle for a fighting second to the New Zealander Apollo 11. What a pity it is that Gunsin's name doesn't appear on the list of winners. The Queen Elizabeth will be supported by three other Group 1 races, the Swep Sydney Cup, the Star Australian Oaks and the Queen of the Turf Stakes. It's a hell of a race day, day two of the Championships on the 8th of April.